Welcome to another in our series of podcasts from the Dolby Institute and the Soundworks Collection. This is in our series of conversations with sound artists, and I'm super happy. I'm here with my partner in crime, Michael Coleman, and we are in Santa Monica at the studios of Naughty Dog Games. Um, and today we're talking with Rob Kreckel. How's it going? Uh, lead sound designer and Philip Kovats, the audio lead here at... Uh, at Naughty Dog. Morning, glad to have you guys here. Welcome to the welcome to our humble little show here. Yes, welcome to our humble little theater. Yeah. <laughs> We're here at this amazing, yeah, screening room at Naughty Dogs, and this is just an amazing. You know, I'd love to hear some stuff in this room at some point. Yeah, absolutely, we can make that happen. <laughs> so, tell us a little bit about about Naughty Dog and about what you guys do here. Um, it's funny. I've actually started working with Naughty Dog, not at Naughty Dog, but with Naughty Dog back in two thousand four when I was at Technicolor Interactive and uh, started working with uh, then the audio lead Bruce Swanson on the Jack series. And uh, once I worked on Jack, uh, worked on Jack 2, Jack 3, and Jack X, uh, ended up joining Sony back in 2006 to Sony Santa Monica Studios as a sound design manager there on the God of War series and some of their external titles. But uh, I... I, uh, kept friends with Bruce and our studios are friendly together and worked on, ended up helping with Uncharted 1, then moved over to be senior sound designer on Uncharted 2. And then after that shipped and then God of War 3 shipped, uh, Naughty Dog asked me to come over to uh, be a co-audio lead for the other project they started called The Last of Us. And so I officially joined Naughty Dog in uh, August 2010. So. And um, Uncharted is really like, that's the, that's, that's kind of the, the franchise uh, for you guys, right? That's, a, that's the biggest game title? That's, that was, yeah, it's one of our biggest game titles. I mean, I think, uh, luckily, we're working at a studio that has kind of played top of the game since PS1 days with Crash. Sorry, the Crash Bandicoot, uh, Jack and Daxter for PS2, uh, Uncharted for PS3, and also The Last of Us. And now we're moving on to the uh, fourth and possibly final installation of an installment of uh, Uncharted with Uncharted for Thief's End. Awesome, and um, <clears throat> we just got a, a private little demo of um, of Uncharted Four, which, uh, of course, we're not at liberty to discuss any of the details about. But um, I it think it's awesome. I think it might be enough to actually convince me to go out and buy a PS4, which is uh, you know, <laughs> it's it, it was just stunning, and it sounded awesome. Thanks, guys. Very high praise. Thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I'd love to hear a little bit about your approach to to game sound. Uh, well, I, I'm somewhere in the middle between like the creative sound design, you know, actual sound artist and the technical. Um, I really get off on the on the technical implementation side. And that's really the thing that kind of like separates us from from more traditional sound design with film or, or TV. Uh, and like a big thing for us in Uncharted 4 is like this Jeep is a big part of the game. And, uh, you know, in a film, you'd, you'd cut it to picture and it's, you know, you have a bunch of pass-bys and a couple ins and outs and, and you're pretty well covered uh for us we had to go record all the traditional stuff as well as a ton of onboard stuff and we mm-hmm. we went so far as to uh record it out in the desert on a open-air dyno so we didn't get any reflections from a garage or anything um and that's the fun part of recording but then the technical side is more like how do we get it to play in game and respond to players so the players controlling the gas and the brakes and all you know the handbrake so they can skid they can slide they can uh, burn out. They can do all the things that you can do in a car. And uh, I, I worked very closely with Jonathan Lanier, our audio programmer, to come up with uh, all the systems uh, behind the actual sound assets to to drive that stuff. And in addition to um, creating and mastering all the recordings to to use for the Jeep. 
So yeah, a lot of other companies have done like car racing games and off-road games like Dirt and Grid and Need for Speed and Forza, and they sound amazing. This is our first time where we're actually doing a player-controlled vehicle. Mm-hmm. Besides, since Jack th- X, Jack X, yeah. and that was kind of a, a different beast because I think we were kind of doing event-based audio. Uh, this time we're going into like granular synthesis and full physics-driven model yeah, for the right. game, and it's it's really detailed and it's really hard. So the guys that do a great job on this are amazing. But we're going to try and do a few different things with this to kind of make it a more off-road experience. Mm-hmm. It's not really a racing game. Yeah. So hey, I'm, I'm I'm just curious about that because you know obviously I come from the more traditional film post-production model, um, and I it, it, that's just mind-boggling to me. Like how how do you interact with the guys who are doing the back-end tech stuff to make sure that you know, that what you're doing is actually going to be executable. And I'm sure as you go through that process, you're learning about, oh, well, the technology is enabling us to do that. So that must also dictate part of your sound approach as well. It definitely does. And and it really helps actually that Jonathan, our, our programmer, is an audio guy. So he, like, we're able to communicate somewhere in the middle, like I said. Like, I know enough tech uh, speak to speak to him at a more technical level, and he knows enough audio speak to talk to me as an audio guy. Right. So that really helps our communication a lot. Um, but he basically says, like, what do you need from me? What do you What do you need from the game to like? What do you expect? And I tell him, like, well, I expect you know the the pitch to change over time as the speed increases. I expect to be able to crossfade between like a slow, medium, and fast tire loop. Uh, I expect the RPMs to go up and fall like sounding naturally and so he kind of takes all that in and then goes back and looks at what numbers he has to give me what knobs we we call them knobs here (laughs) what knobs he can give me to kind of drive my sounds and then we come but let me just ask you about that when when you talk about like what he can give you in terms of Mm -hmm. is that because of like bandwidth issues or is is no is that less of an issue now it's it's not bandwidth it's basically how the physics engine is actually like driving the car itself. So um, the actual code that makes the wheel spin, like we get numbers from that, that we can like plug into our audio engine. Individually per wheel. Right. And then then we can go, okay, the right wheel is spinning at 20 miles an hour. And then what does that mean for audio engine? We can use that information to say, well, at 20 miles an hour, it's in the medium loop and it's, somewhere like maybe two semitones above its bass pitch and we can we have this like amazing curve editor that we can draw like curves in to actually like change the pitch or the volume over over the information that we get from the programmer so like the rpms or the miles per hour or whatever whatever the numbers that we happen to right get. all right and to expand upon the information and where we get it uh one of the things that really makes our job a lot easier here at naughty dog is the fact that um the audio, well, I shouldn't say the audio, the studio itself uh, is behind us 100%. So we work collaboratively with the programmers, the designers who are trying to figure out how the Jeep could be fun, how it should play, should play. Uh, the physics programmer on, on how to create the physics model and how audio would hook into the physics model. So uh, we talk to the artist to figure out how it's going to be moving, how it's going to be uh, uh, for suspension movement. Uh, and so we work really collaboratively with everybody. And that way we can get, we can kind of tell them what we think we need. They can kind of tell them how it should play mm-hmm. and uh, really kind of have a, a come together moment on that so it all works together in homogenous fashion. I was going to yeah. say, how do you guys think you even got to that point where you can actually be at this st- you know, there's so many titles in with Naughty Dog and say, like, you guys should, like, the collaboration is at a point where 
the visual team is relying on the sound team at this point where it, it feels it feels much more even versus sometimes they'll say oh sound is unfortunately secondary yeah I, I think i think it's been a long road uh bruce swanson i think was the, the first true audio lead here and one of the uh things that happened when bruce and jonathan started working together uh, on the ps2 days when they were going to move to the ps3 they actually scrapped the entire audio engine and built it from scratch so in that moment they created a framework and uh possibilities to work with every part of the company together with all of the programming, with all the design and the art and everything to and animation systems to really work together. And so they built that on purpose because since we have our hooks and everything, we have to be able to work with everybody. And if we can make the case that we need something, we can talk to you with the other leads. Uh, like I can talk to the animation lead, the programming leads, whatever, and, or the, the particle effects leads. And we can hook into any bit of the game engine to get sound results. Mm. Uh, and it frees me up a bit because my imagination is not limited in any way on how I you know, figure out how we want the game to sound and give it to the sound designers and, and let them figure out how cool this could be. Because we can... One of the things we pride ourselves on is that if we can think about it, we should try to be able to make it happen. Yeah. And we're given a lot of uh, latitude to get that to be so. Well, one of the things that just immediately struck me, you know, even as you were walking us around, was like how, how important your physical space is to that sense of collaboration. Because yeah. certainly, you know, I mean, my background from the days when I was running Skywalker Sound, you know, we'd be up in Marin County at the ranch working with a picture editorial team in L.A. or New York or London. Sure. And, you know, you'd get these, you know, it was just, you know, there was always issues with communication. And, yeah. But it was stunning walking around here. You said there were, what, like 200, 250 50, people? Yeah. And you're all in one space on one floor of one building. And I yeah. think that that's got to have a huge impact because, you know, if you you just talk with people as you walk, you know, down the hallway and you have these, you know, these conversations and everybody's in the same place working out. And it's also, I think, really important to kind of the the DNA of, of Naughty Dog that you guys are really working on one title at a time. Correct. Yeah. All our thought is bent on one thing. And, yeah, we can walk wherever we need to. All of the, the cubes are low, so you can see people's faces, see at their desk. <laughs> I can, you can yell across the They're studio. They're still hiding say, hey. pretty well, though. They do a good yeah. job. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're, we're, trust me, people think we're real lucky because we get to hide behind closed doors sometimes. But um, Sometimes that's a curse, though, because yeah. the collaboration is so easy for everybody yeah. having this open structure. Sometimes, like, being in an office, it's like, man, I'm laying here by myself. I, I want to, like talk and, and get inspired and so we we do spend a lot of time actually out of our offices like walking and talking to people because that's like we said it's such a huge part of what we do is the collaboration so yeah i think that's it's kind of you're right it's kind of the dna of naughty dog and something they've they thought of from the very beginning uh, not to take away from people who do work remotely there are very successful uh, uh titles out there that work with remote people and there's a lot of new uh technology and communication possibilities for people to uh, collaborate over distances um, but yeah, but there is still something to being able to knock on a door or walk up to somebody and say, Hey, I've got an idea or right. just be able to touch base in that sense instead of waiting for them to respond. Yeah. You don't and have to schedule can... a meeting for next Tuesday. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, one of the other things that, that I think is a little bit different about Naughty Dog and, and we kind of pride ourselves on it a bit is, and there's nothing wrong with it, but there, we don't really have producers here. Uh, it's a very flat hierarchy. Well, what does that mean? Dog. So, um, and how is that possible? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, 
so our structure is kind of, we have the two co-presidents, Evan Wells and Christophe Balestra. And uh, under that, we have the two directors or game directors. One's a game director and a creative director. Bruce Straley is a game director and Neil Druckmann is a creative director. Uh, there are uh, a couple of technical directors and art directors, but they're kind of in their own discipline. Um, traditionally, I would be called the audio director, but we really kind of call me the audio lead here. Um, but... Uh, the leads underneath kind of handle both creative and production. Mm. So in a sense, I'm audio producer, plus I handle content, plus I'm responsible for everything that comes out of the speakers, and I pretty much mix the games as well. Um, so it's uh, there's a lot of stuff that rides on our shoulders, and we're kind of hired and encouraged to be on top of everything and work together with a lot of people and seek out the information. We also have a, a new kind of internal social network, technical <laughs> social task network called Tasker, mm. which Christoph Balester actually wrote himself. Mm. So we can look at all the tasks that are needed. We can communicate, not just by email. Actually, the email is cut down a lot because Tasker says, oh, hey, the uh, foreground art lead is working on a new AK-47. I should add Phil onto this because he's going to have to add sound to it. Right. So I can look at that. I can start adding tasks to a sound designer and say, oh, we're going to need reload. We're going to need shells. We're going to need gunshots. Maybe we need to record, you know, these kinds of things. And I can track those stats. We can put pictures, video, game shots, anything we want in there yep. to keep things up to date and always rolling live, yeah. which really keeps uh, the game development in kind of a really organic structure. Well, I guess, so. what's your uh, your review process? Who is giving you guys feedback per se? Is that at the top level or is it across the whole studio then? Um, so my direct reports would be Bruce and Neil. Yeah. Uh, so I report to the, it's kind of almost like a film structure. I would be the post-production supervisor for a film. Neil would be the director. Uh, Bruce is also the director, kind of like, they've handled different sides of things, more creative, like des a design for Bruce and like the creative and uh, script and storytelling for Neil. Yeah, Bruce uh, is like the gameplay guy. Yeah. Okay. So, so they give us feedback and they let us know kind of where they want to go with things. And, and I take their, my, my job basically is to make them happy, mm -hmm. plain and simple. Uh, make sure their vision is, is uh, fulfilled. On a, on a level below that, though, like me working to bring it back to the Jeep again, like I worked very closely with the designers that are there and they have a certain expectation that they're looking for. And then Phil has a certain expectation. So I get feedback kind of from everyone while I'm, while I'm working on that. And then obviously I have my own high bar for that stuff. So um, and, and it kind of it kind of works that way. Like you said before, it's it's sort of we do get feedback from everyone. Mm. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, we can get we can get emails from anybody, whether particle effects programmers or anything, and say, hey, can we put the dirty hairy gun in there? Right. You know, just it, it can happen. I the mean, receptionist is like, the wheels are not loud enough. You're like, oh, <laughs> it can it. it can get that granular at times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's a blessing and a curse because we we get feedback, but we also get to give it too. Yeah. Like, it, yeah. no, that's the no producer thing. It's like we can talk to anybody about any system. Like, we're all gamers. We're all creative people. Like, we all have opinions, and so. If something doesn't look right or doesn't play quite right, like we can comment on that just as much as people can come on, on sound, yeah. which is pretty awesome. Like yeah. that's that's rare um, that you're uh, like allowed to do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Rob, have you spent your entire career in game sound, or how, how did you how did you come into this? Um, yeah, I mean, more or less. I I, I went to school for sound design uh, and also game design. I have a BFA in both. Um, when I was in school, I fell in love with Pro Tools and fell in love with sound design, but um, I was also a huge gamer and. I was looking at like jobs. I'm like, 
Oh, game sound looks like it's expanding, and I love games, so yeah, game sound design. I want to do that. What, what year was this around? Uh, this was in 2005. Okay. Um, so I've been I've been pretty much in the industry ever since then. I started at EA in um, uh, early 2006, nice. and then I've kind of hopscotched across the industry, a couple of layoffs here and there, and uh, and thankfully ended up here. That does which, happen. I mean, before I was at Naughty Dog, I was a huge fan of Naughty Dog. I played all the games on PS1 and PS2, and then even on PS3, like. Uncharted 2, which Phil was uh, senior on, was one of my favorite games like of all time, and one of my favorite sounding games. So, to get to come here to work on Uncharted 3 was like a dream, and now it's it's just like every day it doesn't feel like work. So we saw the shine awesome. that you have of Phil. We know. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Yes. We, we know. Oh god, let's not talk about that. <laughs> Would you guys say that there? I mean, is there a kind of a distinctive sound for a Naughty Dog game? Uh. I would say yes, but if I if I had to qualify that or quantify that, it would be hard to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say we, we go for kind of a, a hyper-real pulp kind of sound. Um, so, you know, we, we love movies like Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. We love Star Wars. We love, um, uh, you know, Richard King movies. We love, you know, those yeah. types of, of, of environments to, to build from. And so we try and keep things grounded where they need to be, but we're not afraid to kind of push it into, you know, very designing moments where they need to go. And I guess part of the magic is knowing where to flip that switch. And um, we try to, to keep the focus on the story and keep the focus in context with sound because context is king here yeah. and story is king here. So... Uh, it's it's kind of knowing where to go and how far to take it. Yeah, I got a real sense of that during that you know the the Uncharted Four demo that you played for us. And again, not to we're, we're not going to give anything away, but there, you know, it's it's hyper detailed. There's yeah. so much stuff. Yeah. I, I was going to say the the one word I would use to describe Naughty Dog sound is detail. Yeah, uh, and, and it's Bruce really and it's really that. really specific. But then you know, there's a moment when you know our character gets into some trouble and uh, may not make it out, and it really becomes. It was a very abstract moment of sound design mm-hmm. yeah. as well, which was um, just really awesome to, you know, uh, awesome to take in. Because it also was sort of a pause in the moment, like, you know, a pause in the, in the chaos of the game. And you're like, yeah. ah, and, and it just, it was, it was just smartly designed. It was good storytelling. Oh, thanks. Uh, which I, I was just much. really impressed with. Wait, wait, that would have been Mr. Rob. Right? Uh, was, with that being said, like, <laughs> how much influence can you pl- uh, give or, or, or show up in the game of dynamics so that you can create those moments? Is that is it dictated by the story, or is it? Are you guys able to kind of suggest some of those dynamics? Yeah, are you are, are you able to say to you know your creative director, you know, like, if you let me, if you if you do this, that'll give me a great opportunity to do this with the sound. Yeah, um, I would say uh, a lot of the fight for dynamics happened when we did The Last of Us. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was working with Neil on that project uh, and, uh, and Jonathan Lanier, our audio programmer, we really l- looked at the type of story we were telling where it was a very quiet world, a very dead world, and, and it was very emotional. And, and we needed, you know, it's a little bit of a horror game in, in the sense of an adventure game, survival action. So there needed to be those jump scares. There needed to be those moments where things got big and then got really, really quiet. Mm-hmm. So uh, most games like God of War that I've worked on and, and other ones usually are kind of sitting at 10 to 11 all the time. Yeah. And you don't really have anywhere to go. And that was intentionally designed to have a lot of dynamics. And that was a really hard sell, actually. 
Um, and because, you know, they expect to hear certain things and, and I had to say, no, 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 just wait, you know, it's going to be quiet here, but we're going to have a place to go. And, and, uh, we, I had to, uh, prove that case by examples and doing demos and, and that. Well, I can, I can imagine, you know, because your, your development cycles are so long yeah. that, you know, one of the things that I would really, uh, see over and over in, in the film business is, you know, because we were at the tail end of the process yeah. you know a director and an editor had generally lived with a movie for a year or two before they even got to the mixing stage yeah so in a sense you sort of you forget like what worked about it in the first place because you've been living with it for so long sure so the, the knee-jerk thing is just well let's just make it louder you know because yeah. you know you, and i try you, to make it quieter <laughs> well and i can imagine it's even worse with your guys because yeah. i mean you guys you know in in, in in many instances you guys have been working on these games for you know a couple of you know, two or three years before yeah uh so i you know kudos to you guys for for fighting that fight do you well, do you find that you're i mean are you educating directors a lot on what, what you can do with sound yes yes absolutely every every chance we get designers programmers uh directors everybody really everybody uh, yeah we try and work with everybody and, and try and, and and show because i think when it works everyone becomes a fan of it whether it looks good sounds good whatever if it helps tell the story if it helps the game then they become a fan of it yep. um and uh, to go back to your earlier point where you're saying like i'm a big fan of randy tom and i know his motto is to try and get in as early as possible right. you know as a sound designer in film and sometimes it's hard to do so and sometimes it's easier to do so depending on where you're at being on site with the game and uh, being involved with the directors early on gets us a chance to really kind of get into their head from the very early design points and storytelling and and their first scenes that they shoot and motion capture, performance capture, mm -hmm. uh, to get into their head of what they're looking for uh, and try and try new things. So we try to push not only sound but technology uh, and new ways of coming at problems. And there's always problems that come up during the game development which you never can plan for that you have to try mm -hmm. and fix. We're in essence creative problem solvers first and foremost. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, it's it's interesting to be able to go from that beginning and keep kind of seeing what works, seeing what doesn't, and then kind of adding to it and subtracting from it all the time. And then you kind of find at some point in the project you're in the pocket. Right. And you kind of have to learn and recognize where that pocket is. And at that point, you have to make that direction. This is or that, that decision. This is the direction we're headed. Mm -hmm. And uh, go with that. Um, go ahead. Oh, no, I was, I was going to ask, uh, in terms of music then, how do you even spot a video game for music? Because in that sequence you guys showed us, I don't even I don't even remember if there was music. It just felt like there was a lot of, it was really, immer really uh, you know, immersive. Yeah, so uh, musically, we don't handle the music in-house so much. Mm -hmm. uh, our director, our creative director, Neil Druckmann, works with Sony PD Music. Mm -hmm. uh, Jonathan Mayer is our uh, producer, and uh, Scott Hanau is his uh, music supervisor and editor on the on the game. And this game, uh, we're working with Henry Jackman as the composer. Wow. And he is awesome. Yeah, he's, he's really, great. really good. <laughs> and he loves this kind of genre. He loves this game. He works really well with the guys. Uh, Neil and him have a really great relationship. And 
they're able to come up with these themes and um, work this stuff in. So Scott has access. So Scott works with uh, Henry to say, okay, we're going to do these kinds of cues. We're going to put this together. So Henry delivers some cues. We kind of play them to the game and see what works. And then Neil gives them direction notes. And then they'll finish a mix. They'll get the mix and then all the breakdowns of that mix so we can work interactively with the music. And then Scott works to implement the music into our game uh, music engine that Jonathan Lanier wrote. Mm -hmm. uh, so all the music is really dynamic based on gameplay and and what we're trying to the story we're trying to tell again it's all based on the story well that integration I'm, i was just intensely curious about that because you know that that sequence that you showed us you know you were playing it real in in, in real time and it probably took what you it probably took what you were like seven or eight minutes to play. but if i had a you know <laughs> controller I, we, we would have been there for like two hours <laughs> so how do you you know how do you handle music for something that could be seven minutes or two hours depending on what the player is doing well that's where you kind of get into the interactive part so you they create the cues and they create breakdowns of the cues and they'll be kind of low intensity, medium intensity, high intensity, and there'll be loop points and, and we're and also stingers and and uh, so in that sense it becomes a bit triggered like flourishes. Yeah. So much. they'll kind of like come in and out. So depending on what you're doing, the music will come and go because one of the things we try and do is not just have wall to wall music, but have the music think like like a movie kind right. of like come and go with intelligence mm -hmm. right and uh so there's a lot of technology that goes into that and uh and a lot of thought that gets put into that so having a dedicated like music supervisor like scott who goes in and works with the director to say okay here's where we want music here's where we don't want music here's how we want the music to build the music should do this based on ai state yep. all these kinds of things that that can be brought into the mix happen to create kind of this uh, uh, interactive, immersive kind of music soundtrack, which works with the story of the game and not against it. Yeah, and Scott's mm -hmm. able to like uh, work with um, the directors to like key in on moments and say these are moments that we need to hit and that we know are going to be experienced. And so those moments might have a little bit more specific like sync to them versus right. like what you're saying is like it's going to take me 12 hours like. During certain sections, a lot of that's loops, but it's dynamic loops. It's like yeah. low intensity, high intensity. Instrumentation is changing real time. Like right. the system that they're vary. talking about yeah. is pretty yeah. is pretty wild. And once that's all in, like we were talking about, like the mix of, of the demo, yeah. I actually sat with Scott mm -hmm. for hours and went through each cue and we looked at the gameplay. Didn't even play it with sound effects, just play the dialogue and the music together to figure out how we wanted that to work together. And then uh, then kind of brought the effects in and then kind of like micro-tuned like snapshots of mixing and whatever. Well, so that actually leads into my next question, which was, what's the process for mixing a video game? Uh, well, <laughs> if there was a silver bullet. Yeah. Um, so, because, uh, because, of course, it's highly variable. It's going to change every time. Yeah. So what, what does it mean to strike a balance between sound effects and music and dialogue and that? And like what you would traditionally think of as, as you know, mixing. Yeah. So... Mixing for games is not necessarily, as you're saying, like traditional mixing, like sitting at a board and kind of going through the process and inching your way through the reels and kind of making everything work together. Um, it really starts almost day one from the first sound you put in the game with us. Um, we think about what we're trying to make, how we're trying to make it, what the story is trying to tell at that moment. And, uh, and we have to balance that with the interactivity and the dynamics of the game structure mm -hmm. because we're not just creating a sound effect 
for something. We're creating a sound behavior. Mm-hmm. The interactivity of the uh, the actors in the world and the items in the world all have behaviors, whether they're just physics or foreground things that break apart or weapons or vehicles or uh, AI uh, enemies or what have you, or friendlies. Uh, they all have behaviors and they all have uh, a context within the story. So we think very... Uh, intricately about how we want the sounds to play and Jonathan has given us this amazing system of metadata for the sounds so every single sound that gets played in the game has anywhere between 50 to 60 points of metadata that tell how we feel the sound should behave Mm -hmm. we give it uh, a mixing fader so I have a bunch of virtual Mm -hmm. faders Mm -hmm. that I have uh, and right now I think I've got something like 35 groups that I'm working with individually. Basically submixes. Uh, submixes. Mm. And, um, I was about to say, it sounds like object-based mixing. It yeah, is. kind of. It, yeah, is. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, and so uh, I can move those ad hoc as need be. I can create snapshots. I can, you know, like kind of like VCA mixing in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we try to find a way uh, with our system, which we're very lucky to have, uh, that about... 85 percent of the game kind of mixes itself if yeah. we do if we do it right right Interesting. Uh, okay. because when you're mixing something that's eight to 12 hours long or in the case of the last of us 15 to 18 hours long uh trying to right. find like a month of time just to do a final mix is not really viable so what happens then in terms of the surround aspect of because what we experienced in your room was a surround you know, fall of 5.1 fall of 5.1 yeah. which honestly like we were asking like how many people are going to experience it in this amazing you know, format. So I guess the question really is, is like, you know, do you start with the idea of doing a surround mix and then it folds down basically? Yeah. How do you describe that then? Yeah. uh, We definitely think of the home theater experience as the core experience at this point in time. Um, So five one is, is the target. We do of course support seven one and we have seven one listing environments and especially Mm -hmm. in the theater to, to view it back. Uh, But we also test on headphones, on television, uh, and Jonathan has uh, worked with our uh, audio tools and tech team up in San Mateo uh, to create uh, dynamics and uh, 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 speaker angles mm. and uh, uh, dynamic speaker angles, actually, to be able to provide an uh, optimal listening experience for whoever's listening to the game. So if you're listening on headphones, if you plug the headphones in, the game actually knows and switches. Oh, I'm on headphones, so I should have this amount of dynamic range uh, compression in, in our kind of mm. ultra-maximizer, and we should mm. have this kind of speaker angle to help give you a, a better width better uh, for the headphones. Yeah. And is this so. something that's driven by Naughty Dog or the PlayStation console? Uh, or combination. Combination. Yeah. I mean, we, we helped drive that in a, in a little way but <laughs> yeah. uh but yeah the, the playstation console allows us to to get that information and then the the work that our audio tools and tech and jonathan did is kind of on the sony and mm-hmm. naughty dog side to extrapolate that for our own creative needs to give our fans and the players the best experience they can get yeah what kind of feedback do you guys get from fans do you have do you have any sense of like how many people are actually experiencing the game in 5.1? Is that you? you is that a, a, a you know a significant part of the of the gaming group? I have a feeling that Sony has that information. Uh, I, I'm not privy to that uh-huh. so much, but uh, I know that the uh, well, I mean, 
look, I mean, we're, 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 we're proud of what we do. And of course, whenever we release something, we, we look online and scour, kind of like the, scour the forums and <laughs> what are they saying? And say, you know, if they say we're, we're total shit or if we're doing okay. Yeah. But yeah. Anecdotally, I'd say a lot of people, at least on the, on the hardcore gamer side, definitely either have a five one setup mm-hmm. or have a really nice headphone setup. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That means like a five one headphone or like a nice pair of stereo cans. Like, I think those are probably our two primaries is like a 5.1 consumer setup or, or headphones. And the, the thing too is that obviously headphones now are getting to a point where they have a surround kind mm-hmm. of encoding or experience. Yeah. But I remember playing The Last of Us with headphones on and that was like, it was almost too much actually because it was almost too close to me. I was like, I need a little space because <laughs> of the, the environments and just the creatures and the interaction. Um, and I, I, I'm sure everyone has their preference, but I mean, mm. how do you guys prefer to you know play games? In your, in your room in 5.1, right? Yeah. Well, in my room in 5.1, I mean, this may be a bit of sacrilege, but at home, I, I'm where, where I live, I, I can't have the 5.1, so I have a sound bar with a sub, but yeah. I, I have uh, headphones. Okay. I've actually mm-hmm. played headphones at home. Because, yeah. uh, you know, I, actually, I think probably anyone my age who has, like, kids and family, the whole thing, they kind of play with headphones a bit uh, so you don't annoy After everybody. After the kids have gone to bed. Yeah, yeah exactly, so yeah. annoy everybody. I was going to say, um, I have a, a Martin Logan 5.1 set up at home. Oh, it's nice. awesome. sounds beautiful. I rarely get to use it these days because no. I have a one-year-old, so headphones it is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How has the technology for uh, game sound changed uh, even during your careers? Like, what have you, what have you guys seen? Yeah, tremendous, tremendous change. Yeah, because um, I remember the first conversations I had at Skywalker, you know, we were still talking about, like, well, there's you know, big bandwidth issues. You can't really do, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I started uh, my foray into games back in 99. Uh, at, uh, I was freelancing at Nova Logic. And uh, we were working on PC, and I think we were doing sound at 11 kilohertz, 8-bit sound to put <laughs> into, into games. Um, so what does that what does that even sound like, though? It, it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so um, it's it's changed a lot. I mean, right now we put the assets that we put in to our engine are 96k 24-bit. Huh. And uh, that's better than most features. Yeah, and, well, they get they <laughs> get now sound. That's now output that way. Right? Oh, yeah, so yeah, we yeah. output a, a 48 kilohertz A track nine codec yeah. sound, and A track nine is is the newer Sony codec okay. which we have that's built into the PS4, and actually we have a chip in this PS4 that gives us an encode and decode for. Um, well, the encode is not free, but the free encode or sure. decode is free. Sorry, and. Um, it allows us to get a really good compression ratio with nearly lossless yeah. uh, sound at the highest bit rate. So what have you noticed from title to title as you progress with technology getting better? Like you were saying before, that I guess the way to describe it, you said it was like taking like a wet blanket off of... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, fidelity is increased, I mean, exponentially over the console generations. Just, right. It's ridiculous how how much better even just and is that primarily because of just the processing power within the console that's a big part of it and memory Mm. and memory Memory. Mm. i mean on the ps2 we had what two megs plus a meg of iop memory uh ps3 was uh i think it was 256 megs total of of system memory which we could get 10 percent of that so we had about 26 megabytes so that was a huge leap but the games got so much bigger. Yeah. Sure. So, you know, we literally, I mean, we, we had about the same amount of memory from Uncharted 3 to The Last of Us, but we figured out new ways of, of encoding MP3s and everything that we were actually able to get three times the amount of sound yeah. as an Uncharted 3 into The Last of Us. That's mm. that detail thing. Like, mm. th- that's 
that's the thing that's changed over time is like we've been able to make more and more detail uh you know into these games which yeah thank thankfully the memory is, is hopefully going to keep up with and now ps4 thing. we're about 10 times yeah. Wow. that yeah i mean do you guys find that you have sometimes one sound that's gonna be only for a specific moment and you're never gonna hear that sound again yeah mm-hmm Okay. That can happen. Yeah. All the time. But then again, there's a lot of dynamic sounds that need to be carried throughout, okay. like weapons or uh, or interactive. Foley in particular yeah, is. Foley, yeah. I mean, we we have a huge amount of variation, and we have a new system that we're we're doing that is like even more detailed. detailed. It's based on velocity, so how fast the player's moving, it changes the character, the sounds that it's trying to play, and, and the actual. Sound. So based on how they're fast I'm running, my, my footsteps are going to sound different. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they're that all played amazing. heel-toe, they're cut differently, cloth they have different character, that. depending on if you're sneaking, or if you're walking, really? or if you're running, yeah. And uh, that's the kind of detail we're talking about, and like being able to put that kind of detail in the game, it's like a, a Foley Walker's walking it live. Yeah. Uh, and that's the, the kind of stuff that, like, I geek out on that stuff, because I just, I think it because that's really that's really what it is for us. I mean, if anyone wants to talk about well, it's current gen now, but they talk about next gen sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, for us, it's about detail and storytelling because those are the kind of games we're making. We're not making open world RPGs. We're not mm-hmm. making you know Angry Birds. We're not doing these kinds of games. We're making playable cinematic adventures. Right. Uh, and it's storytelling. Storytelling. Yeah. yeah. So um, story is king, and uh, to create that cinematic experience, but in a game that's playable and fun and exciting and uh you know gives you the feels sometimes uh <laughs> takes a lot of work and a lot of detail so detail is king for yeah. us uh the ability to have that kind of detail in our foley or in our weapon design or variations in the sound to give so something over 10 hours doesn't become uh repetitive yeah it's 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 important to us to be able to help tell that story what do you see coming what's what in terms of technology, uh, that's going to change, you know, what you guys do. Um, I know that there are new uh, advents in home theater, like Dolby Atmos. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's 3D audio for uh, for VR right. uh, that's coming. Um, we're not, you know, working on any kind of VR experience right now. We're, we're you know, we're we're set doing these kinds of games, but. Uh, I know that the work that the people are doing are they're pretty excited about that, um, and I think it'll be interesting to help uh, immerse a player in that kind of environment. So it's it's really kind of exciting where VR is going Definitely. with sound, yeah, yeah, uh, in that and with the object based kind of audio, which allows you to kind of pinpoint sounds throughout the world instead of just kind of saying, oh, it's just that angle direction yeah. Right. And Rather than a flat plane, like getting yeah, elevation getting height, and, 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 and height and depth. And also, yeah. you know, the interesting thing, especially for, you know, because we're obviously very excited about Dolby Atmos for VR. Yeah. And I think, you know, in, in terms of gaming, it's the same thing. Then the, the whole, a whole nother kind of world opens up for the director and the storyteller about, oh, I can actually use sound to direct the, the attention mm-hmm. of, yeah. the, of the player, of the person who's experiencing it. And yeah, get them I to think, actually turn their head in a specific way to look yeah. at this thing. Right? Yeah, I think that's exciting for us in a way too, because our even though our games may be somewhat linear, we try and keep it wide. So mm-hmm. we give the player options, and part of those options is height and depth. Right. And so there's there's a lot of verticality to our games. Nate's a great climber. I don't know how he got those muscles to work the way he do, but they they're crazy. Um, and so it's it, that's actually kind of an exciting thing is to figure out how we could possibly use that in the future yeah. for our titles to to uh, give that experience. Well, the other thing that I, I noticed, especially you know from the demo that you guys just showed us, I mean, 
you know, when I got to Skywalker in '99, we started having these conversations about about video games, and there was such a there was such a, a hard line between cinematics versus gameplay yeah. at that point, and you know, certainly we were only initially just talking about working on the cinematics. Sure. But that line seems to be just obliterated in, in what you guys are doing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that line has significantly changed uh, with the PlayStation 4 and uh, with Uncharted 4. Um, even back to The Last of Us, we had uh, a dele- delineation between movies and gameplay. And now with Uncharted 4, we are moving to a full real-time environment. So all this what we call cinematic movies are actually in game engine and actually happening right there. And it actually has opened up this interesting uh, dynamic gameplay wise where maybe a movie doesn't have to be as long and more of the story can be handled in game. And you can actually have kind of a storytelling moment, some gameplay, then another storytelling moment and give, leave the, let the player still have control over camera or movement Mm -hmm. Uh, and while we uh, pause for some exposition, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you want to have those story beat moments; they need to happen. So, but it, it kind of frees the designers to let them tell the story in interesting and new ways than just kind of saying, "Okay, well, here we're going to go to this destination and play a movie." Right. You yeah. know. So, what can you guys say about just about um, just character dialogue? Because there's a lot of kind of your main characters, and you have the environment, the world. Like just in the stuff you showed us, there were probably two dozen interactions with just people that were in that world. Yeah. So how do you is it how much of it's scripted and then how much of it is just kind of sandbox if you go there you hear it type of thing? Most of it's sandbox. Okay. Uh, we we work with a writer Tom Bissell um, and he writes a lot of these lines and I mean he wrote a majority of a ton of... of stuff that you didn't even get to see. Wow. Okay. Um, that's there for the player if they so choose to interact. Um, yeah, the demo was a demo, but when the, yeah. when the game finally ships, it'll be much more open to yeah. explore. Mm. And uh, so, yeah, there's there's moments, there's 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 a whole script. We tried to figure out what we were trying to do for this uh, French-speaking market. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we we have Tom and, and Josh, and Neil is also writing a uh, majority of the story-based work. Yeah. But um, the enemies all have their AI and things they need to say or can say and react and, and work with each other. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of the quips that, uh, that uh, Nate and Sully have together and Sam, yeah. the back and forth between the main characters. And a lot of that happens, you know, sometimes via ad lib when they're in the studio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, we just find these great little moments that they say something really kind of cool and wasn't even scripted and, and gets added in. Well, what's the, um, I'm, I'm kind of curious, like, uh, in terms of the timeline and the workflow, is it, is it like animation? Do they, do they go in with the actors first and record dialogue and then do, and then do the animation off of that? Or yeah. what's the process? Yeah, so most of the work is done in performance capture first. Uh, the story is written, the scripts are created, uh, and they're like, okay, this looks pretty darn good, so we're going to go in and get the actors in and go to our motion capture stage and Playa Vista and and uh, do full performance capture. So All we, the dialogue's recorded on the stage while they're performing. So they're actually moves. performing they're performing it. with each yeah, other. But how, much, have... I mean, how, how loose is that process? I mean, if they get a great idea with the actors on the mocap stage, can they actually yep. run with that and do it? Yep. I okay. think... Uh, Uncharted is probably famous for that. Um, Amy Henning, before this, uh, was extremely collaborative working with Nolan North, who is, is Drake, and Richard McGonagall, who's Sully, and the rest of the cast. They're famous for ad-libbing a lot mm. of right. 
a lot of what the character of Drake is yeah. came from from Nolan. Yeah, so. interesting. And uh, yeah, Troy Baker now is part of the cast. He's yeah. he was our lead in The Last of Us, and him he's playing Sam in this game, and he's he, they love playing off each other. <laughs> and so we yeah we actually have uh, two like head mounted uh, DPA mics just right off their forehead right here. Uh, one for live, one for safety, and uh, so we don't have to worry about the dynamics of their performance. They're allowed; it gives them all the freedom to yeah. do what they need to do, uh, and that's all handled into a Pro Tool session and sent back to us to to work out. Mm-hmm. We clean it up and get it into the game and test it out. So Are it you works. generally able to use that, or do you have to bring the do you have to bring people back to do a little? No, little we, ADR we touch use probably ninety five to ninety eight percent of all that. Yeah. Oh, interesting. The a lot of the ADR that we do is either uh, there was a change in script. Sure. And they wanted to change something. Of course, the, they can change the animation of the mouse sure. to do whatever they need to do. Um, or uh, once the levels start coming online from design, and you have more of the script of all those in betweens from the the motion capture that happened, bring the actor in, and they have a script to say all these these gameplay lines. Because we want, as we said before, we want to let this gameplay or the story to happen in gameplay, yep. not just in the movies. But um, that's where they get a chance to ad lib to the actions because right. they're they're watching the gameplay happen. Right. And so uh, you know if you have someone who's really fast and quips and mm. and uh, great at ad libbing and and they just come up with these really awesome ideas that are in the moment and then we just kind of pick through them and figure out what works. Yeah. And how do you? I mean, uh, what about foreign language versions? So we work with our partners at SE, well Sony Computer Entertainment Europe. Uh, and we, uh, once we get the script done, uh, we have Amy Puckett, who is our localization manager, and she gets those scripts, and we send them together, and she sends them off to Ski, uh, which is Sony Community Entertainment Europe, and uh, they have relationships with different studios in different countries, and they cast the actors, and they work the scripts, mm. and then they record them, and we have, uh, once we work out our mastering for the dialogue, we give them the information on how those lines should be, we get those lines back. Oh, the EQ values, all the EQ and all values, that, volume, and also yeah. spatial values for exactly. where, yeah. And so and then, so you, you you kind of deliver a, kind of a traditional M and E track as well for them to to integrate the that dialogue correct. into traditionally. Yeah, yeah. yeah traditionally, mm. uh, it may be a bit different now uh, with the movies kind of being more interactive, but we'll kind of see where that leads us. We're not there yet, right. um, but uh, yeah, I mean it's 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 pretty incredible to watch it all come together like that at the end because that localization is pretty much that happens right toward the end of the project yeah yeah so because they have was, to wait everything gets it recorded. was always funny to me when uh, you know when we would do foreign language versions especially on the star wars films yeah because mm. we'd get we'd get these tracks back from you know all these different and in most foreign countries they actually cast real old men as yoda so <laughs> it's not it's not grover's voice anymore it's like some you know 85 year old you know chain smoking italian guy voicing yoda <laughs> that's almost water it was, yeah <laughs> it was very very i'm sure the, 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 you guys must have a similar kind of thing when you hear step back it's like wow that's a that's an oh yeah yes. interesting yeah, take yeah, on yeah because uh, on on the last of us our our audio or uh, dialogue supervisor jimmy barker um he would kind of let us into when you hear something funny that would come in like, um, well, I don't want to point out anything, but one of the languages Ellie for the last of us left behind was some of the funniest performance I've heard in a while. And just <laughs> like, really? Wow. That, that matches so well. Yeah. Bold um, choice. Bold, bold <laughs> yes, choice. Indeed. And, uh, it's, it's interesting because I actually think that some of it is cultural 
uh, interpretation of what mm-hmm. the character mm-hmm. might be because a culture may say, okay, well, they're feeling this. And in our culture, we kind of, uh, we kind of react to it this way. Mm. So it may not be what we're right. expecting, right. but it works for the language that they're, they're working in and the, and the people that are playing the fans that are playing the game in that part of the world. Yeah. So it's, yep. yeah, it may not be what's expected for us, but there, it's gotta be there for a reason. How, how do you guys just stay consistently just, involved because these these cycles are so long yeah many many years dedication well, yeah <laughs> well how do you i mean how do you even describe the long process production pipeline and just you really there's no time to slow down or, or kind of just we're, we're gonna well no that's that's not necessarily true i okay. mean we we do there is an ebb and flow okay uh we there is pre-production there's production and there's post-ish production mm-hmm. Uh, it's all pretty much production it's, it's, to the end. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We're all post depending on how you want to go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, much. Uh, or post and post again and post that again and <laughs> yeah. post it again. Yep. Um, depending because, uh, well, look, Naughty Dog really believes in, excuse me, uh, in iteration. Yes. And uh, one of the things I think that, again, going back to the no producers and everything separated is they don't say, well, you only have a week to get this done. You have to get this done in a week. I mean, if it's not done in a week, well, we're shipping with that. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen here. Right. Um, we put some stuff together. We call it gray block or, or block mesh. And uh, we actually do block mesh audio, too, sometimes, where we just kind of tempt something in really quick to Rough see if something in. works. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they'll play with it. They'll focus test it. They'll play test it. They'll see if it works. They may throw it completely out and start over. Yeah. They may just tweak a few things. Uh, but the thing is, is our, everyone here is bent on the service of the game and the story they're trying to tell. Mm-hmm. And we kind of pride ourselves on the polish, yeah. on the inner, on the be able to change our minds. Mm-hmm. And it may hurt. It yeah. may cause less sleep. Yeah. But mm-hmm. uh, we will not stop trying to make a better game out there- of it. Everyone here is extraordinarily passionate, and that's that goes for all departments, like programming, QA, audio. Yeah. Like everyone is super, super passionate, and so you're asking like, how do we stay in it? It's well, we feed off each other. Yeah, sure. Like yeah. when I see designers getting excited about one of their sequences, it makes me excited to make sound for their sequence, right. and then like they get to see and listen to the sound, and it gets them more excited. And so it just it's this escalation Great that feedback happens. Loop. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, we do. We get to get downtime. We take vacations. We, you know, we, we spend time with our families. We, I mean, not, not, we, I'm we, actually we not, within, not, within, launch, not yeah. within three months of a launch, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's the thing. Whenever I talk, you know, or see people after a film is done or a game has launched, it's just like I'm like, I don't know how the skin is still on the body because right. you guys, it's just like, it's just insane how much time is put in. So, yeah. it's it's great to hear that there's some, you know, kind of checks and balances at least. Yeah. Well, I think I think it comes together too is uh, in the hiring process that we have, uh, whether it's Naughty Dog or, or me, I'm responsible for hiring the team or bringing in contractors for yeah. audio, and uh, there's there has to be something said about not just talent but fit. Right. And that's a point that you know I have like students or people who ask me questions like, well, how do I get a job, you know, in in game audio. And I think, yes, you have to be good. You have to try. You have to show you have taste. You have to show you have some kind of innate talent if you're just starting out. But one of the things I always tell people is they have to have desire, passion, and the aptitude to play well with others. Because I think if I have a choice between a guy who's a kick-ass sound designer who I know will make the best sounds in the world 
but he's an a-hole. <laughs> right. And somebody who may not be the most talented person, but they're good at what they do, but they try really hard and they work well and they take constructive criticism and they know how to work together as a team. I may choose a second guy. Because yeah, because that's part of the part of the analysis. Like, I got to spend a lot of time with this yeah, person. That's exactly right. You're in a right. foxhole, essentially. You're, right. you know? yeah. You're about to get like a hundred resumes with just that on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, maybe uh, I fit exactly for a naughty dog position. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah, but I, I have I have a nose for those kinds of guys, so it's like it's it's good it's for you. I yeah. am a good fit. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's it's true. You have to be able to work together. You have to be able to play well together. You got to be able to work well together, and and uh, and have a passion for the product, and know what you're making, and know right why you're sense making of it. Humor. Yes, yeah. and be able to ha- be able to laugh together. Oh yeah. Yes. When it's when it's two o'clock in the morning, and you need that break, and just be able to be stupid. It's mm-hmm. it's important. Yeah. Yes. So where are you guys in the process uh, for Uncharted Four? Like how as a percentage wise, how how close to being done is it? Well, uh, we haven't announced a release date yet, but we are releasing in 2016. We know that much. Uh, we're heavy in production now. We just finished our E3, mm. uh, and that was a huge success for us. I mean, I think mm-hmm. fans were really happy with what we showed, and uh, we're uh, excited to be able to show them the rest of the demo that you didn't see. Yeah, well, That'll you guys be coming. got to see. We're yeah, really right. To, yeah. Like, have uh, listen we, and see. <laughs> yeah, listen to. Um, but uh, we're we're heading toward you know the the big the big time now so yeah. we're gonna we're working towards the the, the main chunk of the game and mm-hmm. and it's getting uh, in the crunch time it's getting in the crunch time but for us i mean usually the way i see it as as kind of the audio lead is e3 is my litmus test of where we are in the process right. and did we kind of hit the points we need to do are we in the right direction for the audio um and i think we're there um, there's a few tweaks we can always make to make things better because it'll never stop. But um, but I think we have a really strong direction going forward. I think we know what we're making. I think we've got the right people to do it. Uh, and we're excited to see what the designers kind of come up with, what the animators come up with, and, and fill in all those big blanks at the moment. Yeah. So, Do you guys have any kind of input once a game has been released afterwards in terms of updates or in terms of not, um, you know, not additional what are the the I mean, DLC? There is yeah. a lot of additional content. Oh yeah, right. Additional between, content because obviously three years is a lot, a lot of time. Right, between right, right. So releases. like, yeah, but between these games, there's DLC, but the DLC schedules are usually pretty manageable. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Left Behind was the last DLC that we did for. Right. Uh, that was the first single player DLC that we've done. Yeah. Yeah, but it, but you know that was intense, but like extraordinarily manageable. Sure. And yeah. It was almost a pleasure to go through because we we got a nice final product in a very short amount of time, and I think it it turned out pretty pretty good. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's always uh, you know there's always continuing content mm. with these things. Yeah, we support our multiplayer community mm-hmm. a lot, and so we try to either create new weapons or new maps or new new exciting oh, things for them to do. Yeah. yeah. So there's always a bit of work that leads out there. Uh, we work with our existing technology that shipped with that game mm-hmm. for the most part. Yeah, you guys don't just disappear for three years and then come no, out with no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, we always kind of like finish this thing, you take a breather, and then start pre-production on what kind of comes next. Yeah. So, Well, based on what we saw, I mean, I cannot wait to, um, you know, to get it. And I'm not a gamer, so you guys, <laughs> like, that's that's the great list, litmus test. Is, you I mean, will be. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm motivated to go buy a PS4 and get ready for uh, for Uncharted 4, which I think is going to just blow the doors off. But, um, you know, Rob and Phil, thanks so much for taking the time and talking with uh, Michael and me today. And 
kind of showing us a little bit about what you guys are doing and talking with us about how to do amazing sound design for uh, for games. It's it's been a, it's been a great day uh, hanging out with you guys. No problem, oh, man. Thanks. It was a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely a pleasure. I appreciate it and love SoundWorks and yeah. uh, we were able to do that for The Last of Us, so it's really nice to be able to help out and, and do this now. And uh, really honored that you guys came and wanted to come talk to us. So. Thank you very much. Well, it's our pleasure. So that's uh, that's going to wrap up this uh, podcast. We're uh, Dolby Institute and Soundworks uh, coming to you from Naughty Dog Studio in Santa Monica, California. <laughs>